Hey guys, Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining us here on FCC Online. We are truly thankful and appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen to our messages. One thing that I do want to encourage you to do is as you're watching these, please don't allow these to be your primary resource in your spiritual journey and your walk with Jesus. Keep these as a supplement to what you do on a weekly basis from the gathering, uh, being connected, being part of a life of a local church body. We want these to bless you. We want these messages and these videos to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. But please do not allow these to replace anything that you have to do with a local church body. Our passage this morning will be from the book of Hebrews. We're going to it's going to be in chapter 10. The title of the message today is Draw Near. So as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 10, if you're here visiting with us for the first time, if you're new to First Church, my name is Ben James. I am the lead pastor here. Um, we pray that you feel welcome, that the, the Spirit ministers to you through what we do here. And our prayer is that every time that we're together as a family, that we glorify God in every word that we say, everything that we do, every song that we sing. Um, and as Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 starts, we're going to see this drawing near concept. As we begin to read in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, we see three imperative statements here made in this, and what we're going to do is we're actually, we're going to take the next three weeks, and there are three let us statements in this passage. And we're going to cover the first one today, which says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, I've said it many times before, and I'll, I'll echo it again. I don't understand why God has entrusted me with anything. Um, because I tend to mess everything up. But for some reason in his sovereignty, what we see in the book of Hebrews, and we see several other places in the New Testament actually, and the Old Testament, is this command of us to draw near to him. That requires a response for us. We know that he has come down. We've covered this in the past couple weeks that the difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is that in, in a very a very simple phrase that the old covenant would require us to climb the mountain to get to the presence of God. The new covenant, God and his presence comes to us. But even with him coming to us, there is still this sense that we need to draw near to him. 
with a clean heart, with a pure heart, with a pure conscience, and in full assurance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now this morning I am here, and and I know that we should be grateful for things every day, but I hope that you're like me somewhat, that there are times and moments in your life that you seem to just be a little bit more aware of what God has done for you. You seem just to be a little bit more grateful and a little bit more thankful as you kind of, um, you know, just ponder a little bit on what God has done for you. And this morning, I am incredibly grateful that through His blood, I have been made His. Because there's so many things that disqualify me. There's so much still yet in this heart that truly, if it were up to me to climb that mountain to get into God's presence, I would be disqualified so quickly. But because of the full assurance that I have through the blood of Jesus Christ, I can draw near to Him. And I absolutely am grateful for that this morning. Whenever we think about this command, this imperative, this instruction from God that says, draw near to me. Let us draw near. I began to think throughout the week, what are some of the things that we need to do? Because, I mean, there's, there's a long list of them, right? I mean, there's things that we need to do. There's things that I find myself daily that I need to do to continue to draw near to God. And one of the things that kept coming to my mind the quickest and most often this week is that we truly need to be in awe of God. There are three things that I pray uh, every single day. And I would invite for you to pray these with me also. But three things that I find in my prayer time each and every day is the first one is that the fear of the Lord would be restored in the churches. In His church, the capital C church, this church included, but all the other churches, My prayer is that, God, I would pray that the fear of you would be restored. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, about in order to draw near unto God, we need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. If you don't fear the Lord, if you're not in awe of Him, if you do not revere Him, you're never going to be able to draw near to Him. Moses found this out, the burning bush. That's that's far enough. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground right now. And I don't have time. I, I, I just I wish I could to really spend on this this morning and talk about because as a society, we do everything we can to get away from fear, don't we? I mean, like everything, like back man, back in the 90s, I rocked the no fear t-shirts. I mean, and listen, there was nothing else that could tell somebody that you didn't have like zero, I mean, you feared nothing than putting it on a t-shirt with like some crazy, edgy kind of font, big, bold letters, no fear. And see, we talk about the love of God so often, and God is 100% love. That's what the gospel of John tells us, that God is love. But I'm afraid that in our churches, All we want to do is love God. And we've shied away from fearing God. And see, and there is such a thing as healthy fear of the Lord. 
And I want to scratch the surface of that just a little bit today because I hope, I hope that you're here as a result that in some capacity, on some level, that your heart truly wants to draw near to God. And church family, I'm here to tell you that I think we're going to see today and we'll see later on that we're truly not going to be able to draw near to God unless we fear God, unless we are in awe and hold Him in reverence in our lives. Now, I will say this as a disclaimer going forward. This is just going to scratch the surface. Sometime this fall, we're going to come back to this. And we're going to, we're going to spend several weeks in what, is, what does the Bible say about the fear of the Lord. Because again, I think that that's one of the things that has been lost in our churches today. Is a true, healthy fear of God Almighty. Now the other two things, so I told you I prayed three, three, three things every day. So first is that, that the fear of the Lord would be restored to the churches. Number two, I pray that true biblical preaching would fill every pulpit again in our churches. True biblical preaching. Expository, dividing the word of the Lord rightly. I pray that. That's the second thing. And then the third thing that I pray each day is I pray that each and every one of you would fall in love with your Bible. Pray that you would absolutely fall in love with the Word of God and consume it like you can't get enough of it. So I invite you to pray those things with me. But we're going to look at somewhat what biblical fear of God. What does it mean to live in awe of God truly mean? Because this is the command. This is the imperative that we see in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. We're going to read it. It'll be on your screen here. It's going to be out of the New King James Version this morning. It says, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. This is God giving instructions here. And look at the wording of this. There's a big difference in must be and should be. In the Bible, we'll see a lot of times the relationship between believers is described as it should be this or it should be that. God is laying the groundwork right here. This is not up for debate. If you're going to come to me, you're going to come near me, I must be regarded as holy. That's not up for any type of discussion. When I think about, you know, we, we want to make sure because sometimes, and I, and I get it, listen, we're, we are a grace-filled church. We live in a time of New Testament grace, but make no mistake that just because grace is more evident now than what it ever has been, it does not take away the importance of the truth of God and His character. Amen? says in John that Jesus was the perfect picture, the epitome, the fullness of grace and truth. I think that's one of those tensions in Scripture that we're never really going to understand is how can someone truly be 100% grace but also represent 100% truth as well. And this truth in Leviticus 10.3 still stands that God must be regarded 
as holy. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 7, it says this, In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than, than all who surround him. Can we take a moment and just look at the word awesome here real quick? Awesome is probably one of the most overused, diluted words that we could possibly have. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. My dinner last night, I took the first bite of it and thought, oh, that's awesome. I hadn't eaten for a while. And it just so good when it hits your lips right there. You know, I mean, it's just like right there. I was like, oh, this is awesome. That's not awesome. When we compare it with God, it's not awesome. God is awesome. If he were still around, we could ask Rich Mullins. I want to date some of y'all right there. How many of you remember Rich Mullins? Our God is an awesome God. You see, we have this deluded sense sometimes of what it truly means to hold God in reverence and to truly be in awe and fear of the Lord. Like the message that you'll hear a lot nowadays is like, oh, when, the, when they say fear of the Lord, it doesn't really mean fear, it just means respect. Really? They're like, oh, that was Old Testament fear. You know, I'm pretty sure that if I look in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, we see people approaching the presence of God or the presence of God falling on them. And even let's look into the Old Testament too, whenever they were dedicating the temple, and it says that the presence of God filled the temple in like a cloud and like a smoke and that no one could stand underneath its weight. I don't think that there was one person in any of those situations that was just laying themselves in front of God flat on the ground going, this is just respect. This is just respect. There was a healthy fear of God that held him in awe and reverence. And there is no different of an expectation for us today. We must fear the Lord. Now, let's look at this next passage, Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, out of the NIV. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in what? Now, let's try that again. <laughs> and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is, this is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. It says, listen, he's going he's to operate and he's going to rest on this spirit that's going to be happening in him and it's going to be of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might. The spirit of knowledge is going to be upon him and also the spirit of fear of the Lord, of God, of Yahweh. And he, Jesus, will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus' delight was in the fear of God. And that kind of goes a little bit against what we would define as fearing God. It's like, you must fear God. Okay, I'll delight in that. But we see evidence of it just if we turn back a few pages 
in from where we get our primary text today, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, out of the New King James also says this, talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard. Why? Because of his godly fear. Jesus, the Son of God, feared the Father. And he was heard because of his godly fear, his awe, his reverence of Yahweh. Now let me provide a little bit of a definition here. I'm going to go with the scripture here. Exodus uh, 20, 20, New King James Version says this, And Moses said to the people, do not fear. About 356 times in your Bible, you will see this. This issued here, this. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Does anybody else think that that verse seems to be talking out of kind of both sides of its mouth right there? Like, do not fear. Now let his fear lead you. I have questions. I have questions. Here's what this is meaning. Do not be scared of God. Do not be scared of Him. But let His fear, the reverence, the awe, the healthy fear draw you closer to Him. And here's the difference. I believe that when we're scared of God, when we truly fear the presence of God, it's because we have something we're trying to hide. When we're truly scared of the presence of God, it's because we're trying to keep something hidden. We know that there's something in our lives. There's a sin, there's an area, there's a place, there's something that's happening in our lives that we know should not be there, and we're trying to keep it hidden. Adam and Eve, what did they do when they fell? Whenever God showed up, they hid themselves. Why? Because sin had entered into their lives. You see, I believe that the fear of the Lord is not being scared of His presence. I believe the fear of the Lord is being scared to be apart from His presence. I want to say that again. Give you another opportunity. Okay. In case there's one amen that would like to come forth. Okay? I believe that the fear of God is not being scared to be in His presence. It's not to be scared of Him. But I believe that the true, healthy, biblical fear of God is to actually be scared to be separated from His presence. Like that's where, that's where, that's when I get scared. Like Moses, when God was saying, I'm done with the people. Go, go away, get away from me, I'm done. And Moses is like, hey, are you going to go? And God's like, no, I want you to leave. Moses is like, mm-mm, not happening. Not happening. Unless your presence goes, we're not going. I tell you what, if you go, I'll go. But if you're not, we're not, we're not moving. 
You can tell me to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. You can tell me to go to a land full of promise. You can tell me to go to a land full of prosperity. But if your presence is not there, I'm not going. That's a healthy fear of the Lord to say, even if I'm in a place I don't want to be, even if I'm in a place I don't like, even if I'm miserable here for whatever reason, if your presence is camping here, I'm camping here too because I fear being separated from your presence more than I fear you. There's no blessing that could possibly be offered to us, given to us, bestowed upon us here in this life that would ever compare to the blessing of his presence dwelling with us. But yet, what do we find ourselves gravitating towards? We feel like there has to be this trail of blessings evidence that we're following the presence of God. What if... What if the presence of God leads you into a wilderness? It did with Jesus. What if the presence of God takes you to a brook where you're all alone and you've got ravens, you've got birds bringing you food? It did that with Elijah. What if the presence of God takes you to a city where Christians, where God-following people, Jewish people of the Old Testament, what if the Spirit and the presence of God takes you to a place where you're risking your very life? Most of us would try to do what Jonah did. God, if your presence is going, then I'm going. But I will not depart from this place if you're not going. To me, that is the true biblical fear, awe, and reverence of God. Now we see a little bit of a transition that begins to take place in the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 3, and up here on the screen it's going to say 1 through 5. I'm only going to read verse 5 to you this morning because I kind of want to see there's a little bit of a change that's starting to take place that we see prophesied here in this passage. This is after Hosea's restored Gomer. It says, afterward the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his what? And his goodness in the latter days. You see, fearing the Lord and the goodness of the Lord cannot be separated. I tell you that I believe that it's the fear of of the Lord, healthy biblical fear of God that leads us into the truest joy that we could possibly experience. The most authentic pleasure that we would have in our walk with God, I believe, happens when we fear the Lord the most. If you look back in the account of Exodus, when Moses went up onto the mountain, God hid him because Moses said, now God, if I've found favor in your sight, sight, please show me your glory. And God says, you can't handle my glory. You can't see my glory and live. But God hid him in the cleft of the rock. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cause my... Does anybody know what passed before Moses? Moses. He said, I'm going to cause my goodness to pass before you. And then Moses couldn't even see all of the goodness of God, and it changed his countenance. 
So much so that when he went down into the, back down to the camp, his face, he had to put a veil over it because people were scared because of the encounter that he had had with the goodness of God. You see, and people began to get scared because of the transformation. And God said, hey, listen, Moses, go down. Tell the people to consecrate themselves because I want them to come up and I want them to visit me. Like God was like, I want to meet my kids. Like they've heard about me. They've seen me work and they've seen, I want to meet them. They're like, no, we're good. <laughs> we see this thing going on. No, we're good. You, you, go, you, you go and figure out what he wants for us and then come back. You see, they were scared of God. They feared God because of their sin. You see, the children of Israel weren't ready to meet the presence of God yet because too much of Egypt was still clinging in their hearts. They were still hiding some things in their heart. So we see here that this transition, that they're going to fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. We see in John, the New Testament example of this is found in John 15, verses 14 and 15, which reads, You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. How awesome of a promise is verse 15 right there. Like that he no longer calls us, calls us servants. He no longer calls us slaves. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But God calls us friends. That's, that's an incredibly encouraging promise. Isn't it? Like Jesus, Savior of the world, considers you a friend. We sing songs about it. We write songs about it. We write daily devotions about it. We encourage ourselves with this. I am a friend of God. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer a servant. I am his friend. There's a conditional clause right here. Because we love verse 15. Sometimes we really struggle with that condition that gets us to verse 15. Because again, something's required of you. For us to be considered friends, something's required of us. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So that leads me, and, and, and very quickly, I've got five takeaways this morning. You're like, five, really? Oh, okay. Definitely not getting down to trace first this morning. But I promise you, if you don't get long-winded on me, I'll go through these quickly. Okay, all right, we're good. All right, so this is what we see in our lives. How does this play out? The first one is obedience. For if you do all that I command you, obedience. So that means that whatever we're instructed, whatever we see, whatever we read, whatever God tells us to do, those imperatives, those things that are saying like, let us draw near. We must fear the Lord. We must reverence the Lord. We must be in awe of who He is. Obedience is the first one. The second one is we're obedient even when it doesn't make sense. We're obedient even when it doesn't make sense. A great example of that is whenever you see the, uh, the people going up to Jesus. They've got a multitude in the New Testament. 
And Jesus says these words, says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That was a massive no-no. That is still, in our own minds, in our culture, a massive no-no. Right? It's like, okay, this dude's talking about cannibalism right now. I don't know about this. You sure this is the right guy? And it says that a great multitude got up and departed. Once they all departed, Jesus looks around and there's this like little ragtag group of believers and he's like, what? You all not going to go away too? And Peter makes one of the more Captain Obvious statements in the Bible. He said, teacher, these things that you say are difficult. <laughs> you think? But then Peter says one of the more profound things. He's like, even though we don't understand this, when you speak, we come to life. You speak the words of life. And if we were to go, where else are we going to go to get this? You see, we're obedient even when it doesn't make sense. The third one is we're obedient even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. Later in Hebrews, we're going to see where it says that Jesus Christ himself endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. When you're facing things that don't make sense to you, don't just immediately think, that number one, I've done something wrong. Number two, God is punishing me. Number three, don't let the enemy convince you that it doesn't matter whether you're obedient or not if you're in a place that doesn't make sense. You know, Kennedy talked a little bit earlier about having faith. It's in the times where it doesn't make sense that most of the time our faith is challenged the most. Amen? When things don't make sense, that's when my faith is tested the most. But we're called to be obedient. We're called to be obedient when it doesn't make sense. We're called to be obedient even when it hurts. And we're even called to be obedient when we don't see an immediate benefit from it. There's a story in Acts chapter 9. Ananias. Saul has just had the Damascus Road experience. God goes to Ananias and tells him, you need to go to such and such place at such and such time on such and such street, and there you will find Saul. You need to take him under your wing. You need to care for him. Ananias is like, wait a minute. Point of clarification, just real quick. We talking about the Saul, the same Saul that's persecuting the church? We, we talking about the same Saul that um, is, is, is torturing followers of Jesus Christ. Is this the same Saul? God's like, yes, same one. Hmm. Maybe a little problem here. You see, that, if God were to call us to do something like that, that wouldn't make sense to us, would it? There's, I bet there's been times in your life where it's truly not made sense of what God is calling and asking you to do. But if we're truly going to draw near to Him, if we're truly going to fear the Lord and want His presence in our lives, then we're going to be obedient 
to what he's calling us to do, whatever he's saying for us to do, even when it doesn't make sense. And the last one is, you, you may have guessed it already, there's a theme here. We're to be completely obedient. In all aspects, all areas, <laughs> every of the things in your life, the fear of the Lord, the drawing to the Lord, drawing near to Him means that I am completely obedient. It means that I start with obedience. It continues that I'm obedient when it doesn't make sense. It's even when the situation, the place, the circumstances I'm in, even when those hurt, I'm still obedient. I'm obedient if it doesn't seem beneficial to me. And I'm completely obedient. That no matter whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's indifferent, whether I like it, whether I don't, whether I have no feelings towards it, the fear of the Lord and drawing near to Him in our all in our lives is about that. If you keep my commandments, if you do what I tell you to do, if you're obedient to these things, then we will be able to draw near to God. Now this isn't necessarily one of those messages that you're going to hear frequently because I hope this is truly challenging you in some areas of your life. I'll go a step beyond that. I hope that this message is convicting you in your life. Because I think that all of us have areas of our heart that needs to be convicted unto repentance. And when I say I hope you're convicted, I'm not just saying that I hope it makes you feel a little bad. Nothing a little queso won't drown, right? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I want this to pierce our hearts this morning. I hope that God breaks you this morning. That may sound harsh, but my desire for each and every one of you is to see you draw near to God. And sin is never going to be able to enter into the presence of God. And I pray that if there's something in your life, something in your heart, I pray that if there's something in my life and in my heart, and I'll tell you right up front, there is. I say if, but I promise you, there is. My prayer is that God breaks that this morning. And that's what I want to see for you as well, because it is in our brokenness that God finds beauty in putting us back together in His image.